we're so used to seeing things that, in my opinion, aren't quite right in our treatment of animals. You know, the less we eat, the less violence is being done, and the less destruction to the environment. Everyone eats, and everyone has to make a moral decision every time that we sit down to the table. Welcome to the Animal Voices Radio Show, Western Canada's only radio program on animal advocacy and compassionate living. This is 100.5 FM Co-op Radio CFRO in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada on unceded Coast Salish territories. Today is Friday, September the 17th. I am your host, Alison Cole, and I'm joined here once again today by my co-host, Elise Jacobson. Welcome, Elise. Hello. As we spoke about a bit on last week's show, the issue of the government-mandated coyote call at Stanley Park persists into this week. And unfortunately, it's too late to save the wild coyote dogs who are being killed in a band-aid effort to solve the growing problem of these urban animals creating dangerous contact with humans in the park as a result of being fed for Instagram photos and such. This Wednesday, former Vancouver Park Board Councillor Sarah Blythe organized a vigil for the coyotes at the Vancouver Park Board building, and Animal Voices was there to be part of it and document the event. We have photos and some video interviews that can be found on our Facebook page at Animal Voices Vancouver if you want to share those with your family and friends to help raise awareness of these issues. And the mandate of today's show is specifically for that. We have a feature interview with a local BC conservationist named Kelly Reddy who works from the inside and goes in deep in this conversation that explains the behind the scenes escalation of this problem of human attacks in the park that started nine months ago in January. Why didn't the park board, the city and the BC government do anything starting back then to mitigate the problem from becoming worse? We'll find out that and so much much more in today's feature interview that will deep dive into these issues and issues of wildlife conservation in general as it pertains to our province. We'll also be playing some clips from this week's Coyote Vigil. Before that, however, Elise is here to brighten our day with some talk about delicious food. I believe it has just been too long since we've had some fun chats on the air about some of the things we love the most in Vancouver when it comes to delicious food finds. And even in the pandemic, I feel like there have been so many new and upcoming vegan food finds. What do you think, Elise? Absolutely. Yeah, that's true. Just this past weekend, the Veg Out food truck did a little pop-up at Strange Fellows Brewing over on Clark Drive, and they had this fun little feature. It was a chocolate cookie milkshake. I believe it was a collaboration they did with To Live For Foods, and it had a whole salted chocolate cookie on top of it, like stuffed over the straw. So it was very rich, and uh, my partner and I went and grabbed one, and yeah, definitely very chocolatey and decadent, very sweet. <laughs> and while we were there, we also grabbed a um, vegan buffalo chicken poutine from the truck, which was also very delicious. Nice treat. So I have to ask you, I'm pretty picky about my vegan poutine. <laughs> yeah. How, how was it? 
I thought it was great. Yeah, it was really good. They had these um, chunks of like fried buffalo vegan chicken and there was the fries and gravy, of course, and the, you know, cheese and the there was green onions on it and stuff like that. So yeah, it was really yummy. Sounds like a winner. Is there a way to know when and where that veg out truck will be? I, I hear about it sometimes. It pops up on my newsfeed and of course looks amazing. Do you know? I believe they post that on their website and on their Instagram as well, usually if you're on Instagram. From what I've seen, they're usually in the suburbs. Um, I find it's usually kind of hard to get to them. So when I found out they were going to be right on Clark Drive and East Van, I thought I have to go there. Yeah, for sure. And if you live out in Langley, you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Or sorry, Richmond, you know, they're often out that way. So, Well, it's always good to have options that are more outside of the Vancouver area, for sure. We need those. We need them in every little crook and cranny so that plant-based food is really accessible to all. And I had a new food experience last week. Well, it, we've had a pandemic, right? I've barely been out this whole year. And I actually went to an outdoor event that we had about 33 people attended for Vancouver Meatless Meetup. And it was a pizza in the park event. It was a really lovely, beautiful day. And we all met up first at Pizzeria Grano, which is a new-ish, opened last year, I believe, uh, authentic Italian pizza place that offers amazing food. So a little bit about this place. Pizzeria Grano prides itself on following the guidelines of Neapolitan pizza, including a properly hand-stretched dough that is traditionally topped and baked in our doomed brick oven, they say. So the delicious simplicity of the pizza marinara is the inspiration behind their plant-based menu. And at Grano, you can expect fresh and sustainable local produce, key imported ingredients, and traditional Southern Italian flavors. You're an authentic Italian or Sicilian, right? <laughs> Have you had their pizza? It's really good. That's what I'm getting yes. to next. They're huge, first of all. The prices range from like about $15 to $23 for depending what they have. They have such a range. Go on their menu. If you check out their website, it's just uh, do a Google for Pizzeria Grano. When I was trying to choose what I wanted to pre-order, I had to wait till the day of because I was like, I have to see how I'm feeling because I mm. want a lot of those right now. I had the pepperonata pizza, which was, it was some kind of vegan pepperoni which was really good, Thai basil, a cashew mo mozzarella cheese. I added on caramelized onions and some garlic. Really delicious. How has wow. your experience been there? I've actually ordered delivery from them a few times. Oh. I guess because they opened during the pandemic, I've never actually right. been in there in person. But yeah, yeah, I've ordered pizza from them a few times and it is really delicious. Every time it's been really, really good. Yeah, some people in the city say it's the best vegan pizza out there. But I don't know. I'm a, I am I like all the vegan pizzas so far pretty yeah. much. Yeah, so good point is that they are open for in-person dining now, and it's a nice little spot to check out. So I really encourage people to go and support their local vegan businesses. So we spoke about the Veg Out food truck today and Pizzeria Grano, which is located at 3240 Main Street at 16th Avenue in Vancouver. The Greater Vancouver Food Bank has been providing support for our cities for almost 40 years and has been vital to helping thousands of community members through the COVID-19 crisis. To find out how you might benefit from the Greater Vancouver Food Bank's services, or to learn how you might donate money or volunteer your time, please visit their website at foodbank.bc.ca.
And now for the news. Some sad news out of Alberta this week. Police have shot and killed a cougar they say was prowling in the Lethbridge area on Saturday in a subdivision. Apparently, residents saw the cougar jump over a fence and into someone's backyard. They say that dispatchers tried to call Alberta Fish and Wildlife, but there was no answer. So the police notified local residents of the situation and officers went in. They claim that they were faced with an aggressively posturing cougar just yards away, and they had no choice but to kill the animal because they posed a significant threat. So yeah, it's very sad to hear about. I think it's relevant too to the topic of today's show, even though it's a different animal. You know, obviously this again is just a case of humans encroaching on the habitats of other animals and they kind of have no choice but to come into our communities to look for food. And, you know, all of this, it's so sad and it is preventable. Obviously avoid feeding wildlife, secure your garbage, make sure to lobby politicians to preserve wild habitat. You know, it's so important to preserve the homes of these animals so that they don't have to be forced to come into our communities. I always think it's so it's so tragic, too, when the, you see the news stories, as this one says, there is no choice but to kill, shoot the animal dead. That mm-hmm. was it. How can that be a choice? And people need to think about our ecosystems as well. In Coquitlam, in the lower mainland here, that they have cougar issues as well, right? Because mm-hmm. there's some housing structures and streets in that that are right next to the forest. And actually, my parents live on a street that actually the parallel street to it is Cougar Drive. <laughs> because yeah, wow. there's a forest behind. There's cougars in there. They don't come out very often. The bears do. But we don't usually have problems with them. Like usually animals do keep to themselves. It's I, I just... I I get I start to cry when I hear about the when I read about these stories that the animal had to be killed because that was an animal's yeah. life and and now that animal has lost his or her life because of humans human intervention but what can we do well we can do things and that's what the interview today will be about Yes, absolutely. And in other news, a new study published in the scientific journal Nature Food this week found that meat production is responsible for 57% of greenhouse gas emissions, which is twice as much as growing and processing plants for food. The use of cows, pigs, chickens, and other animals for food, as well as growing crops to feed farmed animals bound for slaughter, is responsible for the vast majority of all food production emissions, the research found. Beef alone accounts for one quarter of emissions produced by raising and growing food. Growing and processing plants for food, however, makes up only 29% of emissions. That's obviously consistent with previous research, but it's always great to have another kind of bombshell study like this come out. I thought it was interesting, too, that the study noted that using animals for food requires a lot of land, which is often cleared through the felling of forests, as well as additional land to grow feed for the animals. The study calculates that the majority of all the world's cropland is used to feed livestock rather than people. Again, that's consistent with previous research. Farmed animals themselves, of course, also produce large quantities of methane, a powerful greenhouse gas through flatulation. Yeah, this story compels me to direct our listeners to watch the film on Netflix called Cowspiracy, of course, if you haven't seen it yet. Find out so much more if this has intrigued you at all. 
<laughs> that is true. Yeah, there's a lot of good research covered in there. So yeah, the researchers say that because of the huge difference in emissions between animal and plant food production, they suggest that countries should be aware of the significant discrepancy when addressing the climate crisis. So that should be part of the plan for every government. In total, the global production of food is responsible for one third of all greenhouse gases emitted by human activity, again, with the use of animals for meat causing twice as much emissions as producing plant-based foods. So we could really obviously reduce our emissions significantly by adopting a plant-based diet and for governments to encourage this and make it easier for people to do it. Eat pizza, as we spoke about. See, it all ties in. Yes. Vegan pizza. <laughs> yeah. Poutine and, you know, milkshakes. Yeah, you can have whatever you want. And then in some lighter news, Starbucks is testing vegan whipped cream made from lentils at two locations in the Seattle area. Whipped cream at Starbucks in the U.S., of course, has always been made with dairy until now. The chain is officially testing vegan whipped cream at two Seattle area Starbucks locations. Again, the innovative whipped cream that they're testing will be made from lentils, which I thought was really interesting. I suspect that... What they're what they mean is that it's made from lentil aquafaba. That's what I was just thinking. Yeah. I was I first I was thinking I could grab a can of lentils from my pantry <laughs> and then put them in the blender right. and it would make whipped cream, and then it'd be good to go. Yeah. But then I thought, oh, they do the same thing with chickpeas. But what's aquafaba, yes. at least for our listeners that don't know? Oh, um, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> aquafaba, for anyone who doesn't know, is essentially the water or brine that you see when you open a can of beans or chickpeas. Alternatively, it can also be used to refer to the cooking water if you cook beans or chickpeas from scratch. So yeah, lentil aquafaba would be like the lentil cooking water. It has this amazing kind of viscous texture that can be used to make a whole range of incredible things. You can actually whip it up into peaks. Like you can make a whipped cream out of it. You can make meringue out of it. Like it's kind of a miracle ingredient. And it's so cheap. It's like, well, it's the cost of your chickpeas. Yeah. So never, the moral of the story is never throw out the chickpea water. Yes. I keep mine in my freezer because I have not yet had time to use the, if you don't have time to like use it right away, like I don't have time to make whipped cream right now or other desserts that you can, you can actually freeze it. So that's what I have. I've got a container of it in my freezer to thaw out one day. And you've got to check out the Facebook group, Aquafaba Hits and Misses, if yes. you're really interested. There's some cool recipes on that's there. True. One other thing I wanted to mention is that the reason Starbucks is testing this is because the company has committed to to reducing its greenhouse gas emissions, water usage, and waste production by 50% by 2030. And since 21% of the company's carbon footprint is driven by dairy, they've been exploring planet-positive vegan alternatives in the beverage category. So, so here's to a vegan Starbucks by the year 2030. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. I think it could happen. You never know. Winrod has no excuse for coyote abuse. Park Board has no excuse for coyote abuse. On Wednesday, animal and conservation advocates came out to the Vancouver Park Board to hold vigil for the 35 coyotes who were ordered to death last week by the BC provincial government as a swift response to the escalating coyote attacks upon humans in Stanley Park due to feeding of the wildlife. Local animal advocate David Espister was there, and we asked him to comment on the origins of the situation that led up to the decision of a call. Yes, people here have been constantly feeding wildlife unchecked. The, the first thing in this many-layered 
set of circumstances here is that the Stanley Park, the park board itself, doesn't have a feeding bylaw, so there's nothing to enforce, and there has been no enforcement anyway in three years. There's been no one ticketed for any inappropriate behavior around approaching wildlife by rangers or otherwise. So that created a, a problem where coyotes, over time, due to the pandemic, crowds being completely empty of the park and then roaring back in for overnight parties or tour buses coming in to bring people to an outdoor venue, feeding the wildlife. That basically created a number of animals who have always been habituated to food, feeling the usual types of crappy that they do, like raccoons and squirrels having liver and health and obesity related problems, to extending to the coyotes who have become habituated to food. There's apparently been sightings of people chicken and fried chicken and to lure for uh, trail cams and Instagram photos. There's been uh, a number of other just horrific, crass, super, super damaging to wildlife uh, activities here and then that remains fairly unchecked. So the bitings began and then the park board sent that for study. They wanted to ask people how to deal with it. In the meanwhile, people like Bill Tielemann and Wally Opal, a news reporter and a uh, former attorney general, started calling for all of the coyotes just to be murdered. That increased political pressure and the, the choice was suddenly undertaken to cull all the coyotes. Our feature interview today is with local BC conservationist Kelly Reddy. Kelly learned to stand up to injustice from a young age. In his early 20s as a young chief's shop steward, he exposed corruption within his trade union and as a result was blackballed from union work and forced to start his own company. Designing and manufacturing machinery for forestry and logging companies gained him first-hand insight into their destructive practices. His company developed technical solutions to mitigate environmental impact. Retiring at a young age, Kelly founded Black Sun's art studio in East Vancouver to help youth at risk learn skills towards a trades or industrial art career. He also became more involved in animal rights, locally and abroad. In 2013, he founded Stop Animal Brutality and devoted most of his time to animal rights and wildlife conservation work. He worked with many individual organizations as well as BC government agencies. But after years of not substantially moving the needle nor addressing the root causes of rampant habitat destruction from out-of-control logging and development practices, increased human-wildlife conflict and resultant destruction of wildlife, and knowledge of inadequate government forestry policy, Kelly reached out to various progressive, well-informed stakeholder groups to form the organization Unlikely Allies in 2018. Its goal is to preserve wildlife habitat from contrasting perspectives of usage, the hunting and fishing industries, ecotourism and science-based conservation, and animal rights. Kelly continues to work with many levels of government agencies, including municipally, provincially, and federally elected officials, conservation groups, industry, NGOs, scientists, and economists with the goal to build the case that our economy is stronger with healthy and abundant wildlife and wildlife habitat. Kelly Reddy brings a wealth of information to share about his internal insights into the coyote call situation in Stanley Park these days, and he is here today to share with us his knowledge so that you may be armed as citizens with this information to know what is happening in our province. Welcome to the Animal Voices Show, Kelly. Thank you. Well, thank you for coming on the show today, Kelly, to bring to light the information that you have regarding the coyote call in Stanley Park. 
I know you don't usually do media interviews and that you are somewhat reluctant to be here today. Could we start by you sharing how it is you became involved in wildlife conservation in BC? Yeah, first of all, it, it's, it's, I'm a little reluctant because I'm not the biologist. I'm not the expert on these divisive moments that happen, you know, these seemingly watershed moments uh, that happen. Um, I'm more of a root cause guy. So, um, yeah, I, I was uh, a machinery manufacturer. I owned, I was the CEO of a machinery manufacturing company for technologies for the forest industry and kind of saw how things were going. And um, I retired in uh, or mid 40s, uh, traveled around the world, and I started to link uh, habitat destruction um, with a lot of issues that we're having. So when I came back here, I went up to the, uh, Great Bear Rainforest with, uh, Raincoast Conservation, got in with the grizzlies and the spirit bears and the bears and the whales and the eagles and everything else. And, you know, traveled around the world doing a little bit more of that. And, uh, it just resonated me with me. So I started working with, um, animal rights groups, you know, paying my dues, seeing how I could get involved. And, uh, uh, spent some years behind the scenes just uh, supporting them and their efforts. So that's kind of how I came about getting into this. Well, today we're here to speak specifically about the happenings at the Coyote Call in Stanley Park. Last week, the ministry called for a call, actually, as a solution to the situation in Stanley Park of the coyotes that remain there. So to know how a result of calling for a wildlife call could come up in a situation like this, which I would think would be the last possible action one would want to take to solve an urban wildlife issue that has escalated to this point of 45 human attacks by coyotes since January of this year. Well, you need to start from the beginning. Can you tell us about the history of the province of BC when it comes to wildlife, forests, and conservation, and whose role is what in these areas? Yeah, you know, uh, why is a guy like me being uh, uh, asked for an opinion on it? Um, uh, you know, I, I ran successfully uh, uh, for years in uh, successful businesses, and I've got that kind of same attitude in... Um, this work I got into is is to getting to the root cause and finding out everybody's side because you know the the media likes the Hatfields and McCoys when we get these issues that go on they want to find one side and want to find another and and I found over the years that everybody kind of stays in their lane um, you know it's prove you right prove me wrong and uh, I started realizing as I folded back the uh, layers of the onion um, peel back the layers of the onion that there's um, it's a little bit more complicated than that. You know, when you go back to the original history, the conservation officers and the hunting services and everything, they were kind of intertwined because we have this consumptive users model where uh, guys that were trapping, fishing, hunting were also guys that were kind of, or people that were in the logging industry and it was the consumptive use. And, you know, in the, we, you know, I, I guess the environment, uh, the landscape could handle it back then. The conservation officers were developed in this kind of, model of consumptive use. Flinrow, the forest industry, um, is heavily involved in, in the uh, Flinrow, which is the Ministry of, of Forests. And, and all these intermine, inter uh, mesh with um, consumptive use. So if you look at the history of the conservation officers, yeah, they come, I believe, from a, in the past, they came from a hunting culture and a consumptive use culture. And, and, and that's basically what's running things now is, is consumptive use. So 
I understand and started uh, the conservation officer's role and started working with them and recently uh, the forest ministry's role. And when you understand that we're kind of in this consumptive use models, which means now being folded into that is bear viewing and ecotourism. The government looks at wildlife and wildlife habitat as, as a means of making money. And if you're conservationist, you can be labeled as, as a job killer. Um, well, I, I think I've created more jobs in this industry than the minister did because I was actually in it um, and with the technology uh, a company, and I created hundreds of jobs across Canada in this very industry. So I know it, and I know it, I know it well. And it all comes down to habitat destruction. And the the main focus that I've been working on lately is that habitat destruction. And when you look at um, you know, the FERPA, uh, that's the Forestry uh, Practices Act. Everything in that act says they cannot unduly reduce timber supply. And then you go further to that, where uh, the Campbell government came out with the uh, professional reliance model and the new Forestry Practices Act. And I quote them, a major effort to reduce regulations in the natural resource sector sector, uh, reduce the size of government and shift towards results-based regulations. Forest Practices Code uh, to Forest Practices Range Act, and with respect to forest management and a shift from permitting every pollution discharge to regulating low and medium risk pollution discharges by codes of practices under the Environmental Management Act. So when you look at issues like Stanley Park, and more with the cougar. Uh, take your list. These these issues are going on around the province on a daily basis. And the only reason Stanley Park got some attention uh, was because it's in the city and it's a world-known um, park. So when you push in this consumptive use model, um, that is destruction of wildlife habitat at a breakneck pace that most people aren't even aware of. So these animals become homeless. And then they come into um, areas where uh, people are more interested in um, developing, you know, and more, for example, you know, you go back 20, 15, 20 years ago, there's a couple of houses on the hill. Now there's just mindless development everywhere. And, and there's just no thought put into it. So now we get these situations where we're called habitual behavior of animals, habitual behavior of people. And it's the same thing. It's, it's just, it's constant pass the buck. Um, and it's the animals come down amongst people. The animals won't police their garbage, uh, or the people won't police their garbage or their um, habits. And then we get into a situation where the animals are being pushed out of their regular habitat, um, and they come amongst us. And then when they come amongst us, people panic. Conservation officers get a kill, but one side you're killing too many, and other side you're not killing enough. So, you know, it, it's understanding the root cause for me when we came to Stanley Park. So, if you, as I said, if you look at that history of, of FERPA, the Forest Practices Act, uh, uh, Forest uh, Ministry's role in that, uh, the government, the elected officials' role in it, including this present day premier. Um, and you look at the um, destruction of habitat where it's also in, in towns and cities, right? And, and then we get into these predicaments.
You are listening to Animal Voices on Vancouver's Co-op Radio, 100.5 FM CFRO, 100% listener-sponsored radio, broadcasting live from the east side on unceded Coast Salish territories. We're here with local BC conservationist Kelly Reddy speaking about the cull of the coyotes at Stanley Park. Can you talk about the roles of both the Vancouver Park Board and the City of Vancouver and how, from your knowledge, they dealt with the escalating coyote issue that started with, again, a first human attack this January? We're trying to learn here how these are all woven together because we're hearing on just regular mainstream media, it's the Park Board that needs to deal with the situation. They just started, it seemed like they just started to really deal with it a couple weeks ago. They took it to the city and then it was the ministry that made the announcement. Can you talk about how that is all woven together and who, again, who's in charge of what in this situation? I've been delving at this for years and it's kind of past the buck. You know, I originally was pretty upset with the uh, ministry and the environment and the conservation officers because they're the end result of relocate an animal, put an animal down or, and I just wondered how anybody could do that job. And then you realize they're kind of just the uber and the muscle of 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 the situation and that the forestry ministry they're the ones responsible for wildlife numbers but what i mean by past the buck i've watched uh developments where nobody will police their garbage i even have pictures of garbage bins open with a bear cage from the conservation officer service right beside it open garbage bins you know, I don't know which one's supposed to attract the bear, uh, the open garbage bin or the, uh, uh, the, the, the cage to relocate it. So I've sat in meetings with municipalities and we always hold up um, Whistler as a model of coexisting. Uh, there's some areas in California, the Bear Whisper, they did a document. There's ways to coexist, but it always comes down to budget and taking responsibility. So municipalities... They're reluctant to find people, um, you know, the garbage bins, the uh, developments that uh, um, cage the, uh, the um, garbage in property. So you hear about these habituation problems. And it's, it's ongoing, constantly ongoing. Um, and I don't think municipalities do enough. Um, I think the conservation officers are starting to realize they're, they're getting sick and tired of the role of being exterminators uh, for people's lazy, lazy behavior. And there's a culture between the two ministries where um, Flynn Rowe and the Environment Ministry, which is the conservation officers, uh, there's not always the best communication in, in the culture because um, that is the system. I would like to see them um, have more seamless communication between uh, especially trained people within the forest ministry and especially trained people within the conservation officers service to kind of head these things off and mitigate them before they happen. But as I said, this is Stanley Park. But in, in what I do, I, I see this all the time. So the roles here were very clearly, uh, conservation officers get called when there's somebody who could be at harm or at risk. And they have to make an assessment and they try to get photographs or descriptions or do DNA if fur or something's left behind or a bite on the person and they investigate uh, intimate danger. If they believe there's intimate danger to the 
to the individuals again, and there's a troubled uh, or a, a problem animal, um, they'll either have to destroy it or relocate it. If it becomes more animals, like in Stanley Park, that's the uh, forest ministry. Um, they have to come in with biologists and determine if the numbers of population are appropriate predator to prey. And, and everybody's supposed to look at human behavior and the attractants. Um, but I believe the conservation officer service are provincial and they don't want to put a lot of pressure on elected officials in, in, um, in, in different centers because um, they have wild safe that does that to encourage education. Uh, you know, the forest ministry has a jurisdiction to come in and do certain things. And back in January, um, I was contacted by Drew Milne, um, the, the inspector for the South Coast region. And he was just informing me that there was some trouble spots. In, um, one was in Anmore, uh, where the mayor of Anmore was screaming out for uh, destruction of just about every wild animal that could approach a dog uh, or a pet on a leash, and Stanley Park. And it was just starting out. Um, and I'd made the suggestion to him that we get a roundtable of people together. We bring in... Um, uh, experts, uh, biologists, but first of all, we need to bring in the political people. And I'd reached out to Michael Weeb, the ex-Parks Board Commissioner and a Green Council member, and he took the call and he was up for it, that he wanted to get, because he sits on the Regional Parks Board, he wanted to get Regional Parks Board people and City Parks Board people, political uh, elected officials and uh, bureaucratic um, hired officials uh, within government and to get a discussion going to um, talk about what we all knew was the obvious, uh, that there are issues in Stanley Park that uh, attract uh, coyotes and it could become a problem. So this was back in January and I reached out um, to some parks board people. We reached out to um, some political people. Uh, Pete Fry, uh, city councilman, pushed through um, a bylaw um, I, I didn't think it was, you know, uh, the ultimate end goal um, because it's more past the buck. Uh, you know, parks board are separately elected. It's their issue. We're city. Well, we can say that, but, you know, they have autonomy over their jurisdiction. You know, the conservation officers can go, well, you know, this is city of Vancouver. Uh, we're just brought in when there's a problem. And uh, the forest ministry, well, you know, um, the parks board has to manage things. So there's a lot of pass the buck and there's a lot of pass the buck because there isn't good synergy between these organizations. Politicians are worried about getting reelected. Um, I believe a lot of these organizations do not have the proper budget. It does not have the attention of the provincial government. Um, you know, jobs, 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 forestry uh, does, but conservation doesn't. And if you talk about conservation, you're a job killing tree hugger and it's it's only budget and it's only money towards wildlife and these wildlife issues that is going to mitigate these problems we have 2,000 species at risk in the province of bc at risk of risk of being completely annihilated off the planet forever and uh we can't get a uh, priority from government to deal with that um so stanley park to me is just um it's just a byproduct of, of bad policy. And, um, you know, it just got out of hand. 
and now the media is, and everybody's grabbed onto it. Uh, but I think most people in the know um, know what's been going on and it's been going on for some time. So, you know, what happened here? Conservation Officer Service, I believe, did the right thing here. They, they reached out, called some groups and said, listen, we don't want you jumping down our throat. We got an issue here. I think they were hoping and they were depending, and I was one of them, to put a bit of political pressure on because it's not their job to put political pressure on. It's their job to educate. Um, and then it started getting out of hand, and finally Drew Milne um, said, um, yeah, we're not exterminators. We're not going to keep doing this. This is wildlife management, but it's not wildlife management in the way we think is appropriate. You know, So they're stuck with this people calling them, kill them all. I don't want my dog uh, being attacked or I don't want my kid being bit. Kill them all. And then you got people phoning them up. Don't kill one. This is human behavior. So uh, I've got a bit of sympathy for them. That they were stuck in the middle. I don't always have sympathy for them. But I do in this instance. And it took it constantly getting out of hand. And uh, yeah, I think the parks board dropped the ball. The, um, the tourists and the people that use the park are uh, their customers. They're their clients. And the parks board, uh, they make money off it. Uh, it is a business of, of usage. It's a world-class park. Um, and they didn't do anything. And, and you could sit there and say, well, am I being a Monday morning quarterback? No, because back in January, a lot of us were calling for do the obvious. Who Whistler does put animal proof cans, uh, uh, you know, at, at the food kiosks, put signs up saying, um, you know, don't feed the animals. Uh, train parks board wardens to give out fines, put some motion cameras up. I do it, you know, funding it for myself. I don't have as much money as government. You could say there is a case being made that they don't even do the obvious right like they'll give you a ticket if you if your parking meeting expires in the park in minutes but if somebody's feeding wildlife um they won't and it's about setting an example you know drunk driving uh, uh was tolerated until it wasn't until you know uh, enough pressure was put on well this behavior is getting a lot of animals destroyed or relocated and we're relocating them in the areas where there's already stress. They're even trying to put relo- uh, bears uh, that are re- being rehabilitated into watersheds. So people don't go in there. Um, you know, their, their habitat is being dwindled and reduced. And then when they're forced amongst us, nobody wants to take the responsibility of checking their behavior. So if people, small ranches, that don't want to fence in chickens, uh, uh, people that don't want to pick their fruit, don't want to put up electric fences, which is not a big investment. People don't want to put their garbage away. You know, uh, I'm on the Sunshine Coast in the summers. I see it here all year round. Um, if people don't want to take responsibility, then it's government's job to hold them accountable. And, and this behavior is not acceptable. And they could have started, Allison, they could have started saying the wildlife are important to us so at the very least we're going to throw in some animal proof garbage cans there at the very least we're going to uh put signs up around the food at the very least we're going to on a sunny day when people are out after all the covid lockdown we're going to have a noticeable show of force coordinating with the conservation officers and maybe even inviting in vancouver bylaws i don't know if that's jurisdictionally possible to do a um 
or run through the park finding people. I mean, they do that uh, for speeding in areas. They have traps for speeding. They could have made a statement and they could have shut down the park for usage, which the conservation officers were in favor of. But then, you know, it just got pushed off and pushed off and they'll say summer holidays and we got into this and there's always excuses and the excuses are always government moves slow. We don't have enough budget. Government moves slow. We don't have enough budget. You know, I hear that right from forestry uh, practices all the way down to not putting your garbage away. So could Parks Board have done more here? Absolutely. Were they warned? Absolutely. Um, is this about me coming on your show and waving my finger at elected officials? Yeah, I don't think everybody's doing enough. Um, I think people and their behavior aren't doing enough. I think Parks Boards, municipalities aren't doing enough. Uh, I think the conservation officers could do a little more in the environment ministry. I think um, the forest ministry could do a lot more. The government could do a lot more. So the ball was dropped here for sure. And if back when Drew Milne from the COS service raised the alarm, um, would we have solved all of it? No, but would we be 45 people attacked? Probably going to hate wildlife. Some of them for the rest of their life, uh, you know, with um, five children, and now there's a whole new litter of pups that have been born of a puppy have to be put down. Um, it could have been, it could have been mitigated. Yeah, it could have been a lot less. So I want to talk about the coyotes. You just mentioned there's a litter of pups, which is very sad. To me, it just seems what it ultimately comes down to is a great amount of disrespect, which I see for these wildlife animals that live in the forest. It's completely disrespectful just to say, we are humans, we are superior, we are solving this problem by killing them all. That's just so human-like and it's really outrageous, I think. But let's talk about the coyotes and how many coyotes does this impact? And you spoke about how they simply can't relocate it. I'm wondering if you could elaborate a bit on that for our listeners. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I've become a political entity, uh, and, and I hate the fact that I've had to label myself in this because um, I watched uh, uh, Fur Bears and Leslie Fox uh, sue the government on um, wildlife usage, and I even threw in and chipped in on that and listened to the court case. And, and I, you listen to, uh, you know, you could you could get the uh, the judgment and the court case and the government, all the complexities, but Reader's Digest version, tripping it down, basically government can do whatever they want with wildlife. Uh, it belongs to the province and it kind of belongs to them and they can do what they want. I mean, think, I think it was disheartening for a lot of us, but we all knew it and it was just then finally made public. Um, if you look at deforestation practices, if you look at development practices, I'm talking development in Anmore, uh, Sunshine Coast, everywhere that are being on, on wildlife corridors with very little to no consideration um, of these animals. This is going on province-wide. So it's like Stanley Park is, I, I hate to say it to your listeners, it's not the biggest issue for me. It's, it's a byproduct mm -hmm. of, of this being pushed down the road. Um, and I, I'm not a biologist. I speak to the biologists in the forest ministry. I speak to independent biologists. And there's enough real expert opinions out there on the behavior that's going on. And it's behavior uh, that is strange. They haven't seen it. I, I think when a lot of people walked out of the park during the COVID thing and then came back in and tourism came back and then went and, you know, you just have lazy garbage cans around. 
and there's lots of uh, animals that eat that garbage, like rats and raccoons. And, you know, I mean, it, it tells the uh, coyote uh, mother that there's a, an abundance of habitat and food. Have more pups, have more pups. So it's easy, lazy food. And, um, I, you know, I, speaking to some experts, they believe maybe some of the animals were abused. Uh, they were being fed. I know of somebody from government who went in and took, and this says it all for me, Allison, this says it all, and went in, got some potato chips, put them in a plastic container, got them from the drugstore, came in, walked around and around for long periods of time until finally a coyote was within the usual range, about 10, 15 kilometers. And then the individual was shaking the plastic container full of potato chips. Within minutes, that coyote was at the feet like a pet, domesticated but a while domesticated. And that tells me everything. Speaking to the experts is there, there, there's, there's no discouragement to feeding wild birds there or wild animals. You know, like we got on Gibson's, I work with the mayor of Gibson's up in Sunshine Coast, uh, 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 Bill Beamish, and we worked for years getting a bylaw here. And they're just a small um, uh, town where even bird feeders, if you put a bird feeder out, you're going to get a fine. Um, if you don't wash your barbecue and an animal comes in and that animal uh, is going to get relocated or destroyed because of your lazy garbage, you're going to get a fine. So the situation in Stanley Park, for me, is province-wide. It is happening all the time. Um, we just don't hear about it all the time because it doesn't hit the media because it isn't, it, it isn't uh, uh, front-page news like this one. Um, and then celebrities get involved, etc. cetera. Um, this is going to die off, go away, and the problems are going to keep coming back. Um, what happened in Stanley Park is uh, people's behavior. Um, that behavior was not uh, held accountable. Um, those animals are just being animals. Bears are all just being, always just being bears. Wolves are just being bull, wolves, and coyotes are being coyotes. They're just being what they are, and sometimes they're opportunistic animals. Um, if, if it's easy for them, the coyotes have been coexisting with us for forever. They usually stay out of the way. You know, you, you rarely see cougars and they're good at staying out of our way, you know? So, um, there is a lot of experts who will talk about what happened in Stanley park and they dissect all of this acts after I'm not one of them. Um, I think there's going to be an accountability and a report that's going to have to be uh, presented here later, a government at all levels is going to have to say what went wrong, how it went wrong, not close ranks, um, not throw tar at each other, uh, but be transparent, right? The only way we're going to solve this um, is, is to be transparent. But, you know, they're used to being attacked by animal rights people and uh, who don't always have the layers of the complexity of the situation. So they get defensive. And they dig in. And I, I, you know, I used to battle with the COs and, and I just stopped doing it. Um, I will only work within people within government that are progressive, that believe that there is policy change and it's necessary. And I'm not in, and I'm not a nonprofit. I'm, I'm, I'm not a lobbyist. I'm not government. I'm not uh, a company lobbying them. So um, I kind of get to say, you know, what I believe is the elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room is bad policy, bad synergy between um, provincial uh, 
ministries, uh, lack of accountability of, um, of elected officials. You know, um, I just, I go to a case with the mayor in Anmore when there was a cougar and it was right around the same time. I think the uh, cougar were coming in around and I think they ended up getting a dog. I'm an animal lover. I have pets. Uh, you know, the mayor went on social media. They're not doing enough, you know, uh, you know, kill them all. And I had a conversation with him and he said, well, you know, I get, I got elected to uh, protect the people of, and well, actually you didn't. This is what the RCMP do and the conservation officers make that determination. So he fueled the fear. And this is a lot of fear. You know, people love wild areas. They just don't want wild animals there all the time. And if it's, if it's not convenient, I have bears come in my yard all the time. They have no interest in me and I have nothing here to habituate them. They're just taking the trail they've been taking for thousands of years. So Again, I digress and go off the root cause when you ask me a um, direct question because I'm never really interested in getting involved in the pissing contest. I want to see, you know, people understand the complexities of the situation more. I want them to understand more the role of the conservation officer service and that they are tra- struggling to go more towards conservation um, and the and not defending them. It's just a reality. I'm working with them and I'll give them credit where they're being progressive. And I'll hammer on them when I think they're stuck in their old paradigm. The same with the forest ministry. There are elements that see times are changing. Um, But there needs, Allison, to be this collective, everybody get on the same page of dealing with root cause. And, you know, getting into the complexity of developments and, and deforestation is my thing. And I don't come down and get involved in a lot of this because it's back to that same, same stuff where uh, parks boards and municipalities constantly making excuses, constantly, for not even doing the obvious. So That needs to change. Uh, <laughs> that are. needs to change. What's it going to take? Well, first of all, I think it takes informing the public, which is why we're here on the radio doing this today. So thank you for sharing your knowledge on that. I'm wondering if you can speak about your involvement as a conservationist with Unlikely Allies. Yeah, well... You know, that's 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 a that's a prickly one. Uh, you know, uh, when I started and I was working mostly with animal rights groups, um, I really got a lot of uh, good knowledge and training from them. And any group, I don't care what they are, that passionately cares as much as these groups do. And you get a bunch of passionate people that care, that are sick and tired of the system, don't trust government, don't trust media, don't trust anybody. Uh, they put tremendous public pressure, like what's happening now in Stanley Park. And I tip my hat to all of them, and I thank them all. There's a, there's a lot of great groups out there, like fur bears and 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 a lot of the bear groups, etc. Um, and 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 especially like the rehabbers, uh, like Gail out and then out in Critter Care, and I mean these are front frontline people. Um, you know, you start to get when you realize how big of an issue it is. You stop seeing the conservation officers and the forest ministry as, you, as your enemy, and you start seeing what do I have in common with people within those organizations and some elected officials that believe we can't blame everything on climate change? Because now even the forest companies uh, dive in on that. Oh, it's all climate change. You know, so all the issues of animals coming in, it's all climate change. It's the great get, it's the great get out of jail card for not wanting to change uh, behavior. So unlikely allies was after my working on this for years and years and years of seeing, um, animals being destroyed, whether it be because of a small ranch or garbage or a complex or a park or, or whatever. 
um, that it wasn't going to fix anything. It was just going to keep going on and on and on. And uh, not somebody who wants to push water and sand uphill to have it constantly come back at me. I wanted to get involved in something that was root cause. And then I finally realized the obvious. This is a consumptive use province. Um, when I was running my companies, I could reach out to different ministries and get meetings all the time because I was a job creator. So it's like, no problem. I did uh, work with the National Research Council of Canada, uh, a foreign tech, the research facility UBC for the Boris University. So I had access when I was creating millions of tax dollars and uh, uh, um, creating lots of jobs. So coming at it from animal rights, uh, uh, conservation, uh, you get labeled as a job killer. You get labeled as somebody who doesn't know um, the, uh, the policies. Well, I know the professional reliance model, which I would encourage everybody in animal rights and conservation to read, and FERPA, the forest practices that. When you read those two documents and realize how government is actually run, um, uh, it, it's frightening uh, that what they can get away with. So banging on the door of government where they meet with animal rights people and they tick you off your list. A minister will say, or, or under deputy minister, or they will tick off your list. Yep. Met with them off my list, done for a year. Uh, you know, um, great to hear from you guys. You know, the BC wildlife federation can call them up because they say they have a hundred thousand members. I don't, I don't think, I think they got about 50. So they're a big consumptive use organization. They have access. Uh, the guide hunt outfitters, which go back a hundred something years with the development of the conservation officers, well, they have access because it's nothing, nothing nasty going on. It's just the system. It's just the old system. And then you've got, you know, uh, forest industry definitely has uh, access because the people on FERPA rewriting all of this to go after parks and everything they get their hands on, uh, they're industry people and it's jobs, jobs, jobs. So I decided um, not being listened to as a conservationist. I'm going to come in as a, con- as a consumptive user. So for years, I tried to work with the, uh, uh, the guide hunt outfitters because I helped and was one of the organizations against the trophy bear hunt. I have graphics all over my vehicles calling out trophy hunters. I go to the hunt clubs and shoot with them, you know, um, rubbing in, in the face that I, I don't think it's a great practice. And you know, I realized I was staying in my lane that, you know, you go to a vegan event, it's all vegans. You go to animal rights events, it's all animal rights people. I started seeing the, uh, uh, preaching to the converted, the converted were always there. Nobody knew what's coming in and, and government, um, has a microscopic interest for political, uh, uh, um, citizen science to kind of care a bit about conservation. But if you look at their actions, they're not doing a lot. Like Corgan says they're protecting, yeah, they're protecting parks that are on top of a mountain. You couldn't get up if you tried, you know. So um, the consumptive use thing to me is, is the evil here. It's the devil. So I looked at who had access. Well, the, the guide hunt outfitters have access because they're part of the tourism industry. Um, the, the opposite to them, the Bear Viewing Association has access because they're part of that same industry. They sit at the same table. Oddly enough, the government has them at the same table. You take pictures of bears, you shoot bears. You've got to be on the same page, right? Um, and then you had Raincoast Conservation, who I worked with, which is a science-based group, highly respected. 
they bought trophy bear hunting tenures in the Great Bear Rainforest, and some animal rights people attacked them as profiteering the the um, the hunters. But they're practical. They they all of these people, when I was talking to them, understand how the system works. That it is a consumptive use system. And I got talking to the the guide outfitters, uh, President Scott Ellis, and um, you know we stayed away from, from some prickly subjects. And I said, you know, if we don't all come together, what's going to happen? He said, we're going to see wildlife in zoos. That's it. Um, and then I started realizing there's a very large element to them that are conservationists. Um, if there's no conservation, most of these guys hunt fish. They hunt for food too. Uh, and, and again, I'm not condoning or taking sides on hunting, you know, like I'm, I'm just not going there. Um, uh, I'm not against it. I mean, I, I think it does less damage than people go to the grocery store and buy tortured meat, but that's another subject. But if you look at the people government are listening to, they listen to the movie industry. It's a big industry. They listen to the tourism industry. It's a big industry. They don't listen to conservation so much. You know, even the big groups like Suzuki aren't moving the needle on um, deforestation. So I came up with the idea of let's get people the government will listen to that have usually never worked together. And it took years. <laughs> Their boards of directors were leery of me and they're all leery of each other. We started with what the human race needs to be doing now, even what's going on with COVID, political, everything. People in jobs. I, I, I can't redo the whole conservation officer service or the whole Flynn role, right? I don't have the authority or the power and, and government, even elect officials aren't, to just wipe everything out to my liking. Uh, so I have to work with progressive people within these systems. And there are some. And who they listen to, and because of the model, it's consumptive abuse. So if you look at Bear Viewing Association on Unlikely Allies and the Guide to Hunt Outfitters, they are sit on these panels of uh, uh, outdoorsmen, outdoors women, um, that is, that is consumptive abuse. Um, and then raincoats conservation being conservationists are respected for a lot of their science-based positions. So the idea was to take these groups, put them together, analyze the, the situation, uh, uh, very deeply. Uh, we've engaged, uh, economists, look at the economic pros and cons of these industries to make an economic case for and against. We're not anti-logging, anti, we're just saying the, you can't be anti-development. There's no such thing as zero tolerance that there's ever going to be a zero kill of an animal or a zero location. But these loose rules that we play by of passing the buck and getting these animals in trouble like in Stanley Park and with bears and other areas and tomorrow it'll be bears or something else. Um, it all comes down to money. Government doesn't give the budget, doesn't have a priority. So if you come at them from industry and say, we're a multi-billion dollar industry, I'm a guy that, an insider that created a lot of these jobs and I'm still a heavy investor um, uh, uh, and, and, in businesses and in alternative technologies that could be a different solution. So when you take groups of people that, usually fight with each other divisively in the Hatfields and McCoy's media, and you sit them down and find out what they have in common, they have a lot in common being conservationists because the people who hunt want healthy waterways, lands, and habitat, um, and they don't want to overhunt. I mean, there's elements of them that are crazy, like the wolf whackers, the predator. Just, I mean, there's elements of them I, I would never be able to tolerate. 
but the professional hunting element, outdoorsmen, they want habitat protected. And so does the bear viewing for obvious reasons. And so does raincoats conservation. And so do I. And so do other people. Um, so we're coming at this from an economic standpoint, that wildlife habitat and wildlife is more valuable to the government long term that some of these industries are dying. Our industry is growing. The movie industry uh, is that we're in discussions with, because, uh, you know, they sell beautiful British Columbia, not brutal British Columbia, unless they're doing a warscape, you know? Um, so if, I don't want to be embroiled in the continuous fight. So you got to look for some solutions and solutions are you take government's excuses away. Like you take the parks board's excuses away. You take, other and by by doing that you have to get involved in the difficulty they're dealing with what are the difficulties the parks board is dealing with what are the difficulties that the uh, ceos in the environment ministry are dealing with if they're going to trust you enough to be transparent and bring you in to work on these problems then you don't go on the media and burn them every time something goes wrong um and i'm not criticizing it's just not my thing so unlikely allies was formed for stakeholders in the um, that are sitting at other round tables uh, on the consumptive use uh, uh, tables, which I believe again is the root cause, and they have some say with government. So we're talking to government about different practices. You know, I I talked to um, some people in the environment ministry at the you know with the conservation officers, and they're um, they said, you know, yeah, we would like to see policy changes. We'd like to see things in the direction where we become more conservation. Um, yeah, there needs to be better communication between the two ministries. So it's not like they're sitting around pointing their fingers. I believe there's a bit of frustration on all sides, but there's a lack of trust. And I saw that lack of trust on ideology. You've got people who take pictures of bears and people who hunt bears. And the ideology was just too strong and palatable that they didn't the disdain to make them come together. But when you leave those issues out and say that habitat destruction, um, and, and, and you could even consider the park part of it, um, is going to be, is the root cause of all of it, you know, and if we can get our, our teeth into that and get some of that uh, resolved, then I'm perfectly happy to let them all go back to fighting about who hunts, who fishes, who takes pictures, um, because I believe if we don't stop the habitat destruction, if we don't stop mindless development in, in, in rural and urban areas, if we don't stop uh, bad behavior in, in the parks, um, then this is just going to keep rolling and rolling and rolling. And there's a lot of people like me who are saying, I told you so, aren't going to have any comfort in saying, I told you so. Because back in May, in May I sent out emails mm -hmm. of of this thing on stanley park so here we are no surprise to people who want to take the time and effort to find out what's really going back on and 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 the difficulties you know here we are it's it, it's a mess and um i don't believe fighting is going to fix it no that that would be the total opposite right we need to work together if anything so kelly in taking from the knowledge that you have imparted to our listeners today what can our listeners our citizens do in the future to take action so that our governments will take responsibility and accountable measures to prevent such a travesty from ever happening again in our urban and wild lands yeah i mean first of all um uh, you know, I, I take my hat off to the COs to say, no, we're not going in. We're not going to do this. 
we're not going to take all those animals out. And we, we can't relocate them because they're aggressive uh, territorial animals. And then uh, the forest ministry, wildlife uh, have been, um, uh, they're going to deal with it. And uh, they're going they're gonna to get therapy for the people after uh, for it because they don't want to be doing it. They're not happy um, that, that they have to do this. Um, but here we are. And here we are again, like uh, you have all these highly motivated animal rights people that are outraged, you know, but everybody's working and they're busy and they don't have the time I have um, doing out of the resources I have uh, doing these things. So they get angry. And when people get angry, they lash out and I don't blame them for lashing out. Um, And then when you lash out uh, at government, you know, uh, elected officials probably don't care. They say they do, but I I think they care about getting reelected. But People within the bureaucracy that have been there, there's a lot of them that care. Um, and I think they're frustrated and it's not in their mandate to go to elected officials and scream uh, at the hilltop. So what do we need to do? Um, I think we need to stop fighting each other, find out what we have in common, leave the divisive issues out. We can always debate on those later. I'm sure there's people in the United States where a husband and a wife, one is a Republican, one's a Democrat. They work it out. Um, you know, I, I do it with trophy hunters. I never thought I'd be able to, but they know what's going on and they really care, uh, the people I deal with about wildlife habitat and the destruction. And to me, that's the number one issue. I believe that people have to start connecting the dots. When you live in the city, it's easy to not think of the remote areas, the forest fires and why the forest fires are happening. It's not me, not my backyard syndrome. So I, all of this passion of these animal rights groups that um, and, and I admire that they put public pressure on um, to just do more homework and get on the same page with each other and understand um, how the system works. So the government can't be as dismissive to them um, uh, that the government can't just say, well, they're job killers and they don't mm-hmm. understand. Well, they don't understand the complexity of the situation and we can't having them telling us how to do uh, policy. So I would encourage people to become more educated because there's a difference between arguing and debating. A debate is where you have to understand the other person's situation, their person's side, and actually, you know, take notice that maybe they have some good points. And the, the, the element of the uh, things you don't agree on, that's what you debate. Um, but arguing is when you don't listen to either side and you just put out this statement, you know, I, I prove myself right by proving you wrong. And we're in too messy a situation with too many passing the buck jurisdictions and not enough financing and not enough staff um, on all ministry levels um, to deal with this. So consciously, I, I just, I could go back to fighting. Yeah. But uh, right now um, I would encourage people to understand uh, that, you know, if there's bad CO behavior to an individual, that that CO has to be held accountable. Um, same with the, the forest ministries, that if we want policies to be changed, we need to kind of work together to get policies changed so these things don't happen like this. And it starts at, I hope now, the Vancouver Parks Board will enact some things that we've all been asking for for a very long time. And a lot of really good groups have been putting that pressure on and that other politicians and other parks and jurisdictions will start to get a little alarmed by this and start to say, oh yeah, um, there could be a problem. So the main issue is I find in a lot of uh, these, these, these situations, it's reactive. There's, there's something happens where we react 
in, in, instead of proactive. And I would like to see uh, the government uh, have roundtables where uh, the forest ministry sits at the table, the environment ministry, but the conservation officers sit at the table and they rotate out different groups. They'll maybe bring in critter care uh, rehab to talk about that, or they'll bring in animal rights groups and they rotate them out. Um, and there are actually discussions on putting forward to government policy changes. So to get policy changes um, is, is, is a big deal. You know, like we got the trophy bear hunt ended, but that, that's not really policy. It could bring it back in any time. So we don't have a lot of victories. And wildlife habitat, um, for a lot of us, uh, consumptive users and just people that enjoy it, um, is the number one thing. And I'd like to see more people engage in that, is uh, read the Professional Reliance uh, and, and read the Forest Practices Act, understand the bylaws of your municipality and regions, and, and get involved in getting them to change them holding people accountable. Like there's these things for small um, ranches and farms. I mean, they can get away with whatever they want. You know, Um, if the animal comes in, they can kill it. You know, I mean, putting electric fences up. If we look at what happened to Yellowstone when they killed predator animals there and the whole ecosystem went for uh, hell and then they brought them back. It wasn't easy to bring them back. Beavers don't like being relocated. and, And some of these predators, they don't like being relocated, you know, so, why do we wait until we have to relocate them? And why do we wait until they're uh, destroyed? You know, like we're, there's a bear collaring problem program going on right now because the government doesn't know what happens to bears after the rehab. Where do they go? Do they come back? Do hunters get them? Nobody knows because wildlife are an inconvenience. They're a pest. We love it. They're on our stamps. They're on pictures. They're on TV. They're on uh, flags. They're on everything. But the minute, we, they come and we've got to change our habits, our bad habits. They're a nuisance. And then it's past the buck. And past the buck means stressfully relocating these animals, um, killing them. And there's no other way of putting it. I mean, these leg hole traps, sure, what they're doing in Stanley Park, um, they're trying to make it as least painful and everything as possible. But, you know, you grab your dog and hold it by its paws. It takes a lot of force to hold one animal by a very small area. Um, it's catastrophic what's being done to them. I mean, they're, they're doing their best in my discussions with them to make sure that it is, it's, it, it's as um, least cruel, if you can even use those terms as possible. But the system was cruel here, Allison. The system failed. It failed those animals. And I don't want individuals held accountable because that's looking for a pound of flesh and that solves nothing. I want the system held accountable. I want progressive people in the park sport, city, provincially, um, animal rights groups, uh, uh, conservation groups to start looking at what they have more in common and, and do things right away. Not, well, we don't have the people, government moves slowly. There's things that could be done right away. I, I think we need to do things right away that, uh, that prove these animals, these wildlife that have as much right to be here as we do. Um, that they matter to us, that the court case and the provincial government saying they have all rights over them and what's going on with the, the uh, forestry industries and the other um, extraction industries of, of just wanton, reckless destruction. Um, uh, uh, you know, and, 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 but everybody takes sides, you know. And if, if people understand the depth of, of, of the situation, they can debate it well. And a well-informed 
movement that has got people that are elected officials at all levels, people that are NGOs that are within government. It makes it easier for them all to come out because it's, we have things in common. If we come together for what we have things in common, we can, we can achieve change. If we attack each other for our differences, sometimes we're attacking each other for jobs that are difficult to do. People in government don't realize how difficult and strenuous it is jobs, even like yours and, and other people in animal rights that are dealing with these traumas constantly. And sometimes animal rights people don't have an understanding of the limitations of their jobs, right? And if we understand each other's situation, we can trust each other a little more. And I say, you know, like, what do we got to lose? Uh, if, if somebody within government that I'm dealing with or somebody that I'm dealing with hunting or hunting, fishing, bear, I don't care what, if they burn me, uh, I'll go back on the attack with them right away. You know, like, it's just like you, you've, this is about trust. You know, we trust each other. Um, and what we agree to disagree on, we agree to disagree on. We're not going to resolve everything. Um, but we aren't moving the needle. And um, the forestry practices are proof of it. Stanley Park is proof of it. What happened at Anmore is proof of it. What happens with bear cubs, um, you know, it's proof of it. And there's no budget. You know, there's just no budget. There needs to be, people need to be screaming from the mountaintops uh, to force their government to take their tax dollars and do more towards true conservation. And true conservation is a mix of real science and citizen science, citizen science being the passion of citizens that they care about these animals um, and not just about money, 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 jobs, 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 you know, um, and the parks board have clients. Those clients are um, uh, tourists and they're responsible for how those clients behave in, in that park and, and the parks board dropped the ball here. I think the city dropped a little bit of the ball here. Um, and I'm going to push after this behind the scenes, not in the media. I'm going to push behind the scenes um, for a round table uh, that has teeth that can make decisions. Because if you can get all of these groups together and take government's excuses away, oh, how do we listen to them? None of them agree on anything. If you can get the ministries to agree. You can get provincial, you know, uh, uh, um, municipal, you know, we've done it in a few places, Gibson's being one, but it's such a small town, you know. Um, if you can get all these groups to get a platform that they kind of agree on, and you take that to the elected officials, and then the elected officials do nothing, well, now you've got a smoking gun. Now you've got, oh, well, it's not important. Oh, it, 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 wildlife habitat and wildlife aren't important. But right now, because it's so divisive and everybody's taking sides and fighting, Government uses the moving, moving target as a uh, excuse for status quo to do nothing. And I'm sure there's people in government will be screaming from the hilltops of what I'm saying, saying, oh, we're doing this, we're doing that. And I want to see quantifiable done proof. How many fines? How many fines in the park? How many fines the COs are putting out? Like I, I asked for stats. I want to see proof. When are the garbage cans going in? Like, when is this being done? When is that being done? You know, the... Um, the uh, people in Gibson's, uh, the bylaw officer here, she's an ex-RCMP or, or police officer. And she now has the training and she gets to go out. And if you bring in a wildlife and endanger that wildlife by your habit, she can give you a fine. There needs to be a lot of that, but there, there is no accountability.
I want to thank you, Kelly, for being so vigilant, for you're saying you're going to be taking those actions. I would be really interested in knowing how that turns out, if you want to let me know. And if we start to see some action moving on these issues, as you've laid out, we've gone into a deep dive today of your insights. And I really appreciate that. Kelly Reddy is an independent BC conservationist. And you've been on the show today to share your knowledge and insights about the disaster of the Coyote Cull in Stanley Park but also going beyond there to speak more in depth about how these problems do come from the very bottom and and escalate in a way that creates an uncontrollable and dissatisfactory situation. Thank you for coming on the show to speak about these coyote attacks and what people can do to get the government to be accountable and changing policy. Thank you for all the work you do, Kelly, and have a good day. Thank you. Take care. We have a couple events coming up soon. The first is this Saturday, September 18th at 2 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. The Spencers are holding a free online plant-based cooking class on the Meatless Meetup group on meetup.com. And they say, please join Bimala and Chris for their 13th free online plant-based cooking class on Zoom and the 16th one since they started two years ago. Everyone is welcome to participate. Bimala and Chris volunteer their time and aren't professional chefs nor computer experts. They are foodies and love to share their passion for plant-based food. They will demonstrate plant-based recipes, share information and resources to highlight the benefits of plant-based eating, including reducing harm to animals, the environment, and improving our health. Please join them to learn, laugh, and enjoy delicious plant-based foods that you will prepare in the comfort of your own home. For this class, they will make a stuffed pasta with tofu ricotta, focaccia bread, and tiramisu. They encourage everyone to introduce themselves based on comfort level and always save time at the end to answer questions you might have about plant-based eating. So again, that's this Saturday, September 18th at 2 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. You can go to meetup.com slash meatless meetup to find the event and register. Yeah, and I just wanted to mention too, like you don't have to be in Vancouver to attend this. Bimala, she holds these events and people from all over the world actually tune in to, you're cooking along with her, which is really cool. So that had just reminded me, I know she has a link for non-meetup people to join as well. Mm. So don't feel compelled to join a Vancouver group so you can attend this event, which is really, it's online, it's worldwide. I will post her general link on our Facebook, Animal Voices Vancouver, so you can check that out right now. Her classes are really popular. People have a really good time. And she presented uh, actually two cooking classes at the Pacific National Exhibition this past week. Wow. Yeah, they were asked to come back after the first one. They're like, that was so good. Can you come back in two days? And Bimala's class is free, so nothing to lose, everything to gain. Some yummy tiramisu in your belly. Yeah, nice. Nice. And then coming up on Tuesday, October 5th at 7 p.m. Pacific time, the GTAEF Helping Elephants organization is presenting an educational lecture live on Facebook entitled My 20-Year Journey Studying Asian Elephants, Integrating Science with Management. And that's going to be with Dr. Janine L. Brown. You can go to their Facebook page. That's GTAEF helping elephants and the event will be live again tuesday october 5th at 7 p.m pacific time 
You've been listening to the Animal Voices Radio Show on 100.5 FM Vancouver Co-op Radio on unceded and ancestral Tsleil-Waututh, Musqueam, and Squamish territories in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Tune in next week on Friday, September the 23rd from noon till 1 p.m. Our programming for next week's show will be a surprise. We here at the Animal Voices radio show modestly ask you to keep connected with Animal Voices via the World Wide Web. Our past shows can be listened to on our website at animalvoices.org. Our past podcasts are also available on Apple Podcasts and Google Play, so you can subscribe to us there and never miss a show. Join our Facebook page and join us on Instagram, both at Animal Voices Vancouver. And if you want to get in touch, let us know how we're doing or send along show segment ideas. You can send us a note on Facebook or send us an email to info at animalvoices.org. And yes, we are on Twitter as well at Animal Voices YVR. We need help here at Animal Voices. We are an all-volunteer-run radio show and podcast covering animal advocacy issues. If you are tech-savvy and know your way around editing audio, WordPress, or social media, please contact us at info at animalvoices.org if you would like to be part of the show. We also need people who know about animal advocacy issues or are willing to learn to be co-hosts on the show. Be part of the animal advocacy community by lending a hand or your voice for the animals. To close the show today, I am playing the song called Coyotes by Modest Mouse. Stay tuned next for Radio EcoShock with Alex Smith. Thank you so much for listening to Animal Voices today. And remember to be kind to the animals. Coyotes tiptoe in the snow after dark Ghosts in the national parks Mankind's behaving like some serial killers Giant old monsters afraid of the sharks Yeah.